Well, hello. Are you guys ready for some church? I think I heard louder a few minutes ago. Are you guys ready for some church? <laughs> all right, I don't know what location you're at right now, but Littleton is partying, all right? I want to say hi to all the other locations, uh, Lakewood, Arvada, Evergreen, both the God Behind Bars campuses, and our brand new Brussels, Belgium campus. We love you like crazy. If you're just joining us, you're already starting to look around and go, yep, they're just a little off over there. There's a little, yeah, something. I knew something wasn't right. We're in this teaching series called Battle Tested, and we're talking about some guys in the Bible who've been through some stuff, who've been in some fights and some wars and some just battles. And, and what did they do? What did they learn? What did they experience that we need to take and apply to our own lives today? What do we need to do? What do we need to learn what kind of things are we looking to experience? Because the truth is, and we all already know this, right? We all go through battles, every single one of us. We have battles at different times in life for different reasons. We find ourselves just battling life, right? Like sometimes it's a battle for your marriage. Sometimes it's you're single and you're like, I'm just fighting to get married, man. I'm battling for a date. Battling for finances, some, sometimes we battle for our kids, battle for our career. We find ourselves battling for some dreams that God put in our heart, right? That happens. That's all of us, different battles at different times, at different degrees. And so what did these guys do that we can do? Way back in the day, it feels like now, um, after Chad and I finished our pastoral intern program that we were a part of, I would have told you that I was in a career battle. Uh, the, the, the program was designed that about 10 people would go through it at a time. And then when you graduated, it was a two or three year deal. And when you graduated, you would go out to other churches and or start ministries or go be a part of other ministries. Well, when we got done, they decided they wanted to keep me and Chad around. And I promise you, they questioned that decision many times after they made it. But they hired me and Chad to work at the church as part of the youth and young adults. Chad worked with the youth. I worked with the young adults. I've just always been more mature than him. That's just <laughs> how this went down. Well, so Chad and I started talking, and, and we, we talked a lot because, because he lived with me. And, and we started talking about how, man, we're going to be pastors. Like, we went through the ceremony, and, like, they had, a, they had a whole, they were very into ceremonies. We had a ceremony, walked under swords and all kinds of stuff. We were, like, full-fledged pastors. And we started talking about how cool it was going to be that we're going to get an office, we're not going to be at cubicles anymore. We're not interns anymore. We're getting an office. And we started looking around because we know where all the important people, all the pastors, they got really nice offices. And they've got like waiting areas outside of their offices and multiple administrative assistants. And if you go to see one of the important pastors over in the important pastor office section, somebody will give you a drink and you'll feel the air conditioning and just take in the scented candles. Like it's a really great experience, right? <clears throat> and so... Um, well, me and Chad's experience was different. They put us, no kidding, in a coat closet. Not near the pastors, not in the important people offices. On the other side of the building, they're like, yeah, we got a coat closet we don't know what to do with. Let's make that their office. And they put a wall in the middle of it. And I was like, can you put a window so we can just, but they wouldn't. They put a wall in the middle, two doors on the side. And they're like, welcome aboard. And that was it. And, and not, not only was it a coat closet, it was right next to where the preschool was, the kids program. This is like 
This building is gigantic. I mean, it's like, I think it's over 150,000 square feet. It's multiple acres. It's a church and it's a school and it's hundreds of employees. On this entire property, my office door was as close as you could possibly get to urine infested carpet on the entire place. So we didn't have a waiting room if you came to see Pastor Sean or Pastor Chad. We didn't have beverages waiting for you or scented candles. We had scented diapers. We did have those nearby. And that was a nice reminder of the fact that we were in a coat closet. Um, And so I was already a little insecure about my new office. Because the truth is, I wasn't an intern anymore, but I kind of felt like one still. And one day I came to work and the whole thing escalated. All my insecurities, all the frustration, it all went through the roof. I came to office, I walked past the kids' classrooms, hold my breath, get to my office, go in my office, and sitting on my desk, it it was like a beam of light coming down from heaven. It's just one little piece of paper and it it was a little sticky note and it was a time card, one of those you know, time cards. It was a time card with a little sticky note on it. And it said, please start using this. Pastor Mayo. I'm mad. There's probably 200 some employees at this place. Like 10 of them use a time card. And it's the intern team. And I was just an intern and I'm not an intern anymore. And the reason the intern team used them because they're all 18 and can't get up in the morning. So now the pastor puts a time card on my desk and says, please start using this. Pastor Mayo. And Pastor Mayo is one of the most godly men like I, that I've ever met. I mean, a prayer warrior. But he was a little guy. Physically, he was a little guy. And he had a very, very humble, very meek, very soft-spoken, very, hey, Sean, just bless you, brother. <laughs> yeah, it's all fun and games, so you put a time card on my desk. Don't bless you, brother, me. Like, I'm mad. And so I put the thing back down, and I'm, I'm literally like this. I'm just walking around the office like, just looking at it. Like, what? Oh, you're going to go prison rules, huh, Pastor? Okay. Okay, time card. He's qu- and I start talking to myself. He's questioning my integrity. He doesn't know how hard I work. He doesn't know the hours I put in. He doesn't know how much I pray for this place, how much I love this place. He's questioning my character. He doesn't think, oh, no, you did not put a time card on my... And I finally convinced myself that this was like the worst possible thing on earth. I grabbed the time card. I'm going to go give Pastor Mayo a piece of my mind. And I had decided, you know what? Forget this place. I quit. I've always been a little stubborn. And I was like, forget this place. I quit. And I grabbed the time card. And I started walking towards his office. And the more I walked, the more I would talk to myself. And the more I talked, the more bowed up I would get. And I got real bowed up because my office is on the other side of the building next to the diapers, right? So I got all the way over to the important pastor's offices. And I don't knock on the door. I know Sherry's in there with the waiting room, the scented candles. I don't care. I, boom, I push open the door. Yeah, that's right. Where's Pastor Mayo? (laughs) And Sherry was like, "Um, hi, Sean, listen, you know protocol. (laughs) Can I get you a scheduled block on his calendar? No, Sherry, you can't get me a block on the calendar. I want to talk to Pastor now. Like I was yelling, like all of a sudden, I'm not even kidding. I feel this and I get like tackled out of the office. And a friend of mine named Jeremy DeWert, who actually runs the church now, used to work in the youth with me and Chad, tackles me, brings me out in the hall. He's like, dude, what are you doing? I go, you know what, Jeremy? I quit. I hate this place. I'm sick of this place. I'm going to tell him what I think, and I'm quitting. He goes, dude, what happened? I held up the time card. I go, this happened. He goes, oh, dude, 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 I put that on your desk. It was just a joke. 
Kay. <laughs> hey, Sherry, good talk. You know what I'm saying? Love you. Appreciate you. I had so much passion, so much energy. The whole time I was heading over to do whatever I was going to do, I was fighting the wrong fight. I didn't need to fight Pastor Mayo. I need to fight Jeremy's who I need to fight. You know, it's possible for you and me in real life to find ourselves in what we would say is a battle and all our energy and all our emotions, all the fight we got is going towards it. And if people ask, we'll tell them about it. We'll say, yeah, I'm in a battle. I'm in a battle for a rela this relationship. I'm in a financial battle right now. I'm battling for my dreams. I'm battling for where I'm at in life, my career. You know, it's possible to be battling sometimes for years and the whole time to be fighting the wrong fight. Do you know that? Let me show you what I mean. If you have a Bible, flip open to Judges chapter 6. I'm going to set the scene for you. If you have a phone, uh, you can open it to Judges 6. And if I see your face glowing, I'm going to assume the best that you're not texting or playing games, that you are reading the word. Let me set this up. We talked about some of this in week one. Before Judges 6, here's, here's sort of where we're at. The nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. God miraculously sets them free. They get caught right in front of the Red Sea. God miraculously parts the Red Sea. They get on the other side. He closes it back up. Then they're in the desert for 40 years. Then Joshua takes over. He miraculously parts the Jordan River. They go through there. They're over in the promised land. They fight a whole bunch of battles to actually take hold of the land that God had given them. After that, after they took full possession of the promised land, they lived there for two, three hundred years, 200 plus. I'm not exactly sure. And I didn't think it mattered enough to this talk to look it up. So 200-ish, okay? If you read through Judges, what you're going to see is over this 200-plus year period, the nation of Israel starts living in a cycle. In fact, put that graphic up, would you? If you read through Judges, this is what you're going to see happen over and over and over. First, they, they, they trust God. They put their trust in God, and they put God first, and they worship God, and life's pretty good. And then over a period of time, their worship, which is their time, their talents, and their resources, that's how we worship, that's what shows what we worship, their time, their talents, and their resources start fading away from God. They start worshiping other things, other people, other gods. And then the life starts to fall apart, and then they live in desperation mode for a while, and then they go, oh, guess what? We need God. We shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have forsaken him. And so then they cry out for God again. God, we need you. And then God, in his mercy and his love, he comes back and saves them, and then they put him first, and they start worshiping him again. And you read the book of Judges. This just happens over and over and over. You can take that down. They worship God. They worship other gods. Life starts to fall apart. They cry out for help. God saves them again. And I was studying Judges recently, and I thought, huh, I'm not sure all that much has changed. You ever feel like that's your life story? Like, that's what it looks like if you were to chart it out? 
For some of you, it takes like years for that cycle, right? It's years of walking away and years for life falling apart. And then, oh my gosh, I cry out for God. And then he does something great. But for some of you, let's be honest, that you go through that cycle in like a week, <laughs> right? You come to church and like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I just want to put you first, God. And then you go like this during worship. I just want to put you first. And some people raise one hand and some people. And look, if, you're, if, if that freaks you out, it's nothing weird. The Bible says we lift holy hands to God. It's just a sign of submission. Some people, when we worship, we like to just put our hands up in the air and just say, God, I give my life to you. I'm worshiping you. You don't have to do that. You can if you want. We want you to worship in whatever way you feel comfortable here. We want you to feel at home. It's nothing freaky deaky, but that's what happens, right? People come on Sundays and they go, God, I love you and I worship you and I just, you're number one. And then Wednesday happens. You get two speeding tickets in one week. Oh, is that just me? Yeah, I'm about to get divorced right now. That just happened. <laughs> God, you're number one. Wednesday rolls around. Your time, your talents, your resources, they start to sort of go to other things, don't they? The, 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 the school and the job and the kids and the sports and the things and we're busy and the deal and the family thing. And then by about Thursday, Friday, it's like, well, my life is falling apart, man. And then some of you have a really rough weekend and you're like, oh, God, I need you. Where is Sunday? I just want to put you first. <laughs> Ask your neighbor, say, is that you? Ask him right now. Just say, tell me the truth, dude. Is that you? That's this vicious cycle that, the, okay, you're done talking. If she's single, talk to her later. <laughs> so that's a vicious cycle that the, the people of Israel are living in. And, and, and so that has happened right before Judges 6. And in the nation of Israel, they were worshiping God and they put him first. And then they started worshiping all these other gods. And, and they didn't put him first anymore. And then their life starts to fall apart. And that's what about, we're about to see. The Midianites are attacking the nation of Israel. The Amalekites are attacking them. All the other ites are attacking them together. And, and, and they're, 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 they've killed the crops and killing the animals and they've taken their homes. And the people of Israel are in the promised land. It's a whole different sermon. They're in the promised land, but they're hiding in caves because they're so oppressed by the enemy. And they go, oh, maybe we need God. Judges 6, verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord... Because of Midian. See, they're on the cycle again. It's time to cry out for God again. He sent them a prophet. We're going to talk about that in a second. He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's what we just talked about. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. All right, I want you to try to picture this for a second. The nation of Israel are in the middle of a fight for their lives. Enemy armies are attacking and they've taken everything and they're hiding in caves and they're praying, God, do a miracle. Like, we've heard of the kind of miracles you do. Send a divine army. Well, I'm talking chariots of fire from heaven and angels with lightning bolts and soldiers and the whole thing. Like, send us an army. We need you. 
And God goes, I hear your prayers. Here you go. And he gives him a prophet. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, I'm sorry. Did you not hear me with the whole I need an army thing? You sent me a guy in a dress in Birkenstocks? Like, what is he going to do? I don't need a prophet. I need an army. And this prophet, he doesn't even want to talk to the people of Israel about war. He wants to talk about worship. He looks at the nation of Israel and he says, you don't have a Midianite problem. Yes, we do. Look, they're taking over everything. He goes, no, 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 no. You don't have a Midianite problem. You got a worship problem. Don't you remember the cycle? Your ancestors and their ancestors and now you, you don't have a Midianite problem. You got a worship problem. They were begging God, please. Listen, some of you need to hear this because I think this is where you're at. They were begging God, please deliver us from this situation. And God says, no, no, no. Way more important than that. I need to help you understand why you're in the situation to begin with. You don't need an army because the Midianites aren't your problem. This war isn't your problem. Your problem is the reason you're in the problem, which is your worship. You don't have a war problem. You have a worship problem. God says, the problem didn't start for you when the Midianites and the Amalekites started taking your land. The problem happened, it started when you started building altars to false gods. That's when your problem started. And now God's going to speak to a man that we're going to study for the next couple weeks. His name is Gideon. We're to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in... Almost Oprah. <laughs> Oprah. That's Oprah with a lisp. <laughs> Sorry. Inappropriate. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And there's about 50 sermons that could take place over those two verses. And if you've been around church for very long at all, you've probably heard one or two of them. Because the irony there is like through the roof. God comes to a guy who's hiding in a cave. He's threshing wheat, which needs to be done outside in the open so the wind can be a part of the process. But he's scared of the big bad wolf. He's scared of all the enemies that might come and hurt him. So he's threshing wheat in a cave, probably in a little wine press, hiding from the enemy. And if you read this passage, he starts talking to God about how broken he is. He says, I'm the brokest one of the bunch. I'm the weakest one of my family. My family's the weakest one of the whole clan, of the whole community. Like, I've got nothing to offer. And he totally disqualifies himself from being able to do anything big or significant, kind of like we do sometimes. And God looks at this guy who's hiding from the enemy and says, no, 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 you're a mighty warrior. See, here's the thing. God doesn't see us in our situation, he sees us with the potential that he's put inside of us. And some of you need to see that right now. You need to hear that right now. You need to let God speak to you right now. He says, I don't see you based on your situation. I don't define you because of what's around you or what you're going through or what you're in the middle of. No, I know you because of the potential I've put inside of you. 
You don't see it yet. You can't feel it. You're a mighty warrior. I got plans for you. I got some battles ahead of you. You're going to have some highs and lows, but you're going to be a part of some victories that are going to blow you away. You don't understand what I'm doing, but trust me, you're a mighty warrior. You might just be in training, but you're a mighty warrior, Gideon. Gideon doesn't buy it. Anybody else who would have heard it wouldn't have bought it. God says, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. And he's about to take Gideon out of the cave, out of the wine press, out of hiding, and he's about to turn him into a gladiator. Verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you, Gideon. I know it doesn't make sense and you don't see how it's possible, but you, the way you are right now, you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. To which he would say, what? Are you crazy? God says, Gideon, I got plans for you. You're going to be a part of such amazing battles. You're going to defeat the Midianites, the Amalekites, and everybody else that's joined forces against you. It's going to change your life. It's going to change your family. It's going to change your entire country. That's the kind of stuff I have planned for you. You are a mighty warrior. Gideon starts to get bowed up a little bit. Really? You're taking me to the battlefield? Yeah, I'm taking you to the battlefield. But, hold on. Before we step onto the battlefield, one thing needs to happen. Watch this. Verse 25 and 26. That same night, the same night that he said, I'm going to make you a mighty warrior and you're going to defeat all these enemies of yours. The Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd. The one seven years old. Yeah, yeah, God, I, I got you. I know the one you're talking about. Mm -hmm, that one. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it, or Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. See, what you wouldn't know unless you've read the text, and we don't have time to get, read all of it together, is that Gideon's dad built an altar in their backyard, an altar to worship this God named Baal. They would worship at this altar. Their family would worship at this altar. People from the community would worship at this altar. They would do rituals and sacrifices, all kinds of crazy stuff. And what they believed is, is by worshiping Baal at this altar, the Baal would make it rain. Give them good rain, good crops, good fertility, good income, good housing, good life, the whole thing. All their hope, all their trust for their future. It was, it was in the backyard of Gideon's house on this altar to worship this God named Baal. And so God looks at Gideon and he says, oh, I got plans for you. And you're going to be a mighty warrior. But... Before you step on the battlefield and take down the Midianites, you need to step into your own backyard and take down some altars. Because remember, you don't have a war problem. You got a worship problem, son. So before you ever do that, you got to do some battling at home. Some battling for your soul, some battling for your priorities, some battling for what God you choose to serve, some battling for the direction and focus of your worship. 
Your problem didn't start when the Midianites came to town. Because that's what you think. That's when you started hiding. No, 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 no. Your problem started when you built the altar in your backyard. You don't have a war problem. You got a worship problem. And if you're like me, you go, well, nah, that doesn't really apply to me, though. I mean, it's a cool story, but I don't build altars in my backyard, right? And, and maybe I would venture to say that for a whole bunch of us, me included, we're a lot more tempted to put up altars than we'd like to admit. Ours just look different today. See, God looked at Gideon and he said, you want to change your situation, you change your worship. And I wonder if he would say the same thing to some of us today. You got a worship problem. Well, but again, how do we know? Because ours looks different. And, and Chad and I were, were talking about this guy that we call Christian, the Christian Yoda, Tim Keller. And he describes this subject matter like this. What is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significance and secure. And there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. But perhaps the best one is worship. You see why we call him the Christian Yoda. See, we'll be tempted our entire lives to build altars. Because what happens is, is every station of life, every phase of life, left unchecked, we'll just start to look around without purposefully putting God first and worshiping him and going to him for our safety and security and our peace and our meaning and our value and all the stuff that we're supposed to receive from him. Without doing that on purpose, we will, on autopilot, left unattended, we'll just start looking around at wherever we're at in life and go, if I could just get that. If I could have that person. If I could find the perfect spouse. Then, then I would feel secure. Right? If I could have the perfect job, then I would have the, the meaning and the significance that I just seem to be lacking right now. It's because I don't have that. That's what I need. If I could just live there, if I could just drive that, we do it with all kinds of things. If I could just make that kind of paycheck, then I'd finally feel good. I'd feel safe. I'd feel purposeful. Red Rocks Church. That's called idolatry because we're taking people and things and we're putting them in a place that only God should be for us. And we're saying, you bring me peace. You bring me value. You bring me meaning in a way that God said only he can do. We build altars. They just look different. And I just, I was thinking about this this week for us. 
and how God looks at Gideon and he says, yeah, I've got some amazing things planned for you. I've got a future in store for you. I've got some battles, some places I'm going to take you, some things that you're going to experience that you've never been to before, that you've never experienced before. But before we step onto the battlefield, you got to step into your own backyard and take down some altars. And the question I invite you to ask yourself today, and the same question I've been asking myself all week, is this me? Like, is that something that God would want to talk to me about right now? Because I'm not, I'm not using bricks and building altars to bail, but I'm real tempted to idolize things in a way that I just shouldn't. See, it looks like this. I talked to someone today. I mean, this is real life. He said, man, I'm in, a, I'm in a battle for my marriage right now. And I can't tell you how many people I talk to that say, I'm in a relational battle. That's not the words they use. They talk about the problems and the issues and the struggles. I'm in a relational battle. And I'm not saying this is you, and I'm not saying this is every situation, but it's worth asking the question. Because I think sometimes God looks at us and we go, I'm in a relational battle. And God would look at our situation and go, you're not in a relational battle. You don't have a relationship problem. you got a worship problem. The problem is you've taken your spouse or your future spouse and you've put them in a place of worship. And you've thought, you don't say it out loud, but you've thought, if I get that right person, if I have the perfect spouse, then I'll feel at peace. Then I'll feel significant. And what happens is, is we get married and a few years goes by and we wake up one morning and we look at our spouse and we go, I don't have peace. I don't have that significance, I thought. You know what? It must be a problem with my spouse. I got a relational problem. And God's going, you don't have a relational problem. You got a worship problem. Stop worshiping a person and worship me, and you would enjoy your spouse a whole lot more if you take those unrealistic expectations off of them. You don't have a relationship problem. You got a worship problem. See, sometimes we fight the wrong fights. Sometimes I've said, Man, I'm in a financial battle right now. And again, I'll say it differently, but that's what I'm talking about, right? Like things are really tough and it's freaking me out and I'm getting kind of scared and, and I'm thinking about the future and I don't know if I got things in order. I'm just, I'm in a financial battle right now. And, I, and I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has looked at me before and said, you don't have financial problems, Sean. You got a worship problem. Your problem is you worship money. You don't say it out loud, but you think if I can just get enough of it, then I'll feel safe and then I'll feel secure about my future. And those are things that only I can give you. And if you would take money off the altar, if you would worship me instead of money, the amount you have right now wouldn't be that big of a concern for you. You wouldn't even have a money problem. You don't have a money problem. You got a worship problem. And so again, the question is, okay, God, is this me? I can't tell you how many times I've got this one wrong. And I think, I think he would say to some of us, it would change your life right now if you'd spend a little less time battling things out here and step into your own backyard and start battling some things in here. It would do some of you a whole lot of good to battle a little less for that financial issue. To battle a little less for that relational problem, for that dream God's put in your heart, for the career at hand. It would do you some good to battle a little less for that, yet go home, spend some time in solitude with just you and God battling for your soul. Saying, okay, God, you show me. Where am I off track? Have I put up some idols? Have I put some things in front of you? Am I 
living in idolatry? Idolatry just means I've worshiped things other than God. Is that me? We, we pray what David prayed. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, sometimes we fight the wrong fights. We think all of our fights are out here on the battlefield. And God looks back at us and says, no, 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 no. You don't have a problem with the Midianites, Red Rocks Church. You got a worship problem you need to fix way before you start fighting that fight. Because until I'm first and until I'm the source of your peace and your joy and your significance and your security, you can't win this battle. You're fighting the wrong fight right now. And men, let me just talk to you for a second, because I know we, there's, we were just created to conquer. Like there's just something in us. And we would love, some of us, we would love, no problem, put the fight in front of me, put the battle in front of me, I'm good, let's go. And we would rather spend 15 hours a day wielding a sword on the battlefield, shedding blood, sweat, and tears, fighting for our kids, fighting for our marriage, fighting for our family, fighting for that job, fighting for that position, fighting to make a, a future for everybody. Yet we can't hardly drag ourselves to spend 30 quiet minutes with God, saying, God, I want to fight for my soul today. I want to fight for my intimacy with you. I want to fight for the, for the focus of my worship. See, sometimes we just fight the wrong fights. I know some moms who would fight you to the death to protect their children. But won't get alone with God and battle for their own soul. See, this stuff's easy to talk about at church. It's a whole lot harder to actually do. And that goes for every single one of us. But there are times when every single one of us will be tempted to put a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of time and a whole lot of resources into fighting a battle and God will look bad at, back at us and go, no, 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 you're fighting the wrong battle. That's not your problem. Worship is your problem. You gotta go to the heart of this issue. Get off the battlefield for a little bit. Step into your own backyard and chop down some altars so that I can prepare you for the battlefield. Band, you, you guys can come on back up. <clears throat> this week I've been thinking about what I said at the very beginning that a long time ago I would have told you that I had a, I had a career battle going on. And the battle was I'd always wanted to feel important. And I don't think that makes me all that different from you. And I wanted to feel significant and I wanted to matter. I wanted meaning and purpose. And, and, and I thought I gave my life to God Shoot, I'm chasing a God job. God, I'm doing a God job. Surely a God job will give me peace and security and significance and purpose and meaning. I had put a job for God at a place that was reserved for God. And I was expecting my job to bring me things that only my connection with God can bring me. I didn't have a career problem. I had a worship problem. I wanted so badly to feel important at work. Just... And every time I walked into that office, 
it was a reminder of how unimportant I was. Because people that really matter to the organization, people that are really significant to the organization, they don't get put in the coat closet with Chad. <laughs> even though it was a coat closet, because I was an intern and I was getting hired and my new title was Pastor Sean, even though I refused to let anyone ever call me that, I, I would walk around and every now and then I would just walk by the coat closet while they were working on it. I'd be like, mm-hmm. I hadn't felt the disappointment of it yet. I was just walking by going, mm-hmm. It's going to be my office. And one day I walked by and two maintenance guys were in there working on it. And I heard one guy tell the other guy, we're going to replace the trim inside here on, along the floor. And I heard the other maintenance guy say, why do we have to replace the trim? They're not real pastors anyways. And I know, I know what he was saying. He's saying that. It's just Sean and Chad. Like, they've been around here for years. They're just interns who got hired. It's not like they're the important pastors. They're kids. And I can't tell you how much hearing that has messed with me over the years. I can't tell you how many hours I sat in that coat closet office, depressed and feeling sorry for myself, because you're not a real pastor anyways, or you wouldn't be here face it and somehow I packed that thought up and I brought it with me to Denver and I'm ashamed to admit it but there are times now when I'll get a really mean email someone tells me I don't know what I'm doing and I don't do it right and all I read is, is I read the whole thing and I go yeah you're not a real pastor anyways can't do this The irony of all that is I now have a corner office. I didn't ask for it. In fact, the guy who was doing the construction just sort of said, here's where I put all you guys, and we all went cool. And I didn't even think about it till this week. My office happens to be on the corner of the building. And ask anyone who works with me. All me and Chad want to do is leave these really nice offices. We have a waiting area. Someone will give you a drink. It's air-conditioned. doesn't even smell like a diaper most of the time <laughs> ask anyone who works with us if it's sermon prep week for me they know where to find me if it's sermon prep week for chad they know where to find him we're not in the nice office that's been really nicely decorated you know where we spend all of our time studying and praying down in the kids room in fact this week i was trying to go get a loan all i ever wanted was a corner office right and now i got a corner office and all i want to do is get away from everybody and go back to the kids room so i can pray and worship and just be by myself and study and so this week i was feeling pressure about about today's message and so i went down to the kids room and wouldn't you know it chad was already in it i'm not even kidding i took a picture of it That's where me and Chad spend most of our time. That's our favorite room in the church. And we go there and we pray and we seek God and we get away from everybody else. And we say, God, what do you want to say to the church this week? It happens to also be across the hall from where the diapers get changed. Isn't that crazy? And this week I started, I had this weird thought like, what if I could go back like 15 years and talk to myself? Give myself a pep talk. Have you ever thought what that would be like? Like if you could go back and talk to yourself 15 years ago, what would you say? 
probably have all kinds of things to tell yourself. And I started thinking this week, like, what would I say if corner office Sean could go back and talk to pouting in the coat closet office Sean, what would he tell him? Man, I have a whole bunch of things I'd like to tell him. One of the things I would tell him is, is you know what? Man, enjoy this place that God has you right now. You can't see it. You don't feel it. You don't understand it. You're a warrior in training. You're going to take some battles. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. But God's going to take you to some things that you never dreamed possible. And one of these days, you're going to get the corner office that you've always dreamed about. And man, you, you don't have a clue the kind of prices you're going to have to pay to get there. And when you get there, the pressure that's going to come with that office is something that you've never felt before. So listen, I know you don't necessarily like where God has you right now. Enjoy where he has you right now. He's got a plan. He's working. Enjoy this moment. And listen, when you look around at your life, some of you need to hear this. When you look around at your life and you see this is the way my life is going and this is my stage and this is where I've ended up and this is what I got to deal with. Listen, your situation does not define what you're going to do in the future. Your God does that. What people think about you and your potential I would tell myself, that doesn't define or dictate your future. Your God does that. And I would have to be honest with myself and I'd say, hey, bud, listen, you don't have a career problem right now. You got a worship problem. Because you're asking a job to do things that only God should be doing in your life. What you need to do is enjoy this moment. Work hard in this moment. Let God take care of promotions. Let God take care of tomorrow. You refocused your worship on Him. You put Him first. And trust me, one of these days, you get that right, one of these days he's going to take you out on the battlefield and the things you're going to see is going to blow you away. Sometimes we fight the wrong fights, don't we? And we think it's all out here in front of us. And God says every now and then he goes, no, 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 back up. You want to win this battle? And step into your own backyard and start, start chopping down some idols and watch what I'll do. God, I thank you that you're with us right now. I thank you that you have a plan for every single one of us right now. And some of us, we don't see it. We don't feel it. We don't get it. And I pray, God, that you would help us just be more aware than we have been in the past that you are with us right here, right now, and you're working in our lives even when we can't see it. I pray, God, that, that what you said to Gideon that some people would take that to heart tonight, that you're a mighty warrior. Just hang in there. You don't see it yet. You're a mighty warrior. I pray, God, as we begin to worship you with music, that you would just speak to every single one of us, like directly to our hearts. And you would help us, help us answer that question. Is this me? Have I put up some altars? Am I worshiping something other than you? I pray you would just communicate with us so clear right now. And then, God, I pray you would give us the courage to actually do something about it. 
We're so grateful for everything you've done for us. We've never deserved you. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. We never deserved it, but we're so grateful. And it's our honor to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, at all campuses, can you stand up? And we're gonna, we're gonna worship God with music. But if you're listening to this or watching this, whether you're in this room or at a different place, if you don't have a relationship with God, you can change that right now. You can put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross right now. And according to the word of God, you just simply call out to God and say, I want that. I want to put my faith in you. I want to walk away from my old life. I want to put my faith in you. Not just so you get involved in in my battles, but so I get heaven forever. You call out to God. The Bible says you are saved. Your eternity changes in an instant. Red Rocks Church. I love you guys. I love being a part of this family with you. What an awesome God we have and what a great honor it is for us to get to worship him. Let's worship.